Thanks for joining us for our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're currently in our series, Fresh Fruit, where we are diving into the fruit of the Spirit. As a believer, the fruit of the Spirit should be coming out of our lives. It should be shown in all that we say and do. Just as when you see an apple tree, you see apples on it. As a Christian, others should see you and see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They should see Jesus in us. Our vertical relationship with God must be lived out in our horizontal relationships with others. So let's jump in together to this week's message of Fresh Fruit. We're so glad you're here. Hi, I'm Don Storrs, and this is my lovely wife, Cynthia. And uh, we've been here for three years here. Talking about gentleness, what does gentleness mean to us? Gentleness means it's self-sacrificing. Gentleness often means doing a 180 from what my original reaction would have been. Listening, really listening, rather than, okay, I want to make my point. I think that that's how I'm able to respond in gentleness. Good morning. We're really glad that you guys are here today. Thanks for joining us. My name is Nick Allen. I get to be the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills, and it's a privilege to be in this spot in this series as we are in week eight of a nine-week look at the fruits of the Spirit. And so above my head, I have these incredible banners that are hanging to alert us as to where we've been so far. We've spent an incredible amount of time talking about love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Today we land on the idea of gentleness. So you showed up on a really good Sunday, and I'm taking a mental note of every who's here right now and silently judging you if you do not show up next week when we talk about self-control because you would clearly be among the people who don't think that you need it and I would actually want to know you a little better um, because that's the one we're landing on next week and it's a super difficult one for me personally and maybe you as well no judgment okay here we go I'm excited today as we dive into this look of gentleness now my wife Susan and I have been married for 22 wonderful years Did you hear that I said wonderful? Yes, awesome. 22 wonderful years, and we have three great children. They are ages 15, almost 16. This is how you can pray for me. Um, 14 and then 10 years old. The 15 and 14-year-old are only 15 months apart, and I remember very distinctly knowing just how close in age they were going to be and sitting down with our pediatrician who advised us in the moment after baby number two came, Lord, she was mercifully healthy, and we were excited and so thrilled to bring her home. And the pediatrician said to us, really, the greatest hazard for baby number two is baby number one. And I knew very quickly that he came to be right because this kid, this oldest child, 15-month-old, that we had begun teaching how to be generous and how to share would pile all of the stuffed animals that she owned on top of the baby. And I was like, whoa, here we go. We want to be generous, but we're also going to have to work on gentleness, right? Gentleness. And it's a kind of word that sort of has an expiration date in our minds and in our culture. Because it's not unlikely 
To hear parents say to their kids, oh, be gentle. We said that to our now 10-year-old son when he was two years old and we brought home a puppy for the first time in his life. There were many a moment where we were like, Simon, be gentle with Sonny, pet gentle, gentle, because if you're not gentle with her, she's probably not going to be gentle with you. And so there was this whole aspect of gentleness that we promote for our kids as if it's some value, but then later on in life, we completely forget about it and we want them to be aggressive, be aggressive, be, be aggressive. We want them aggressive on the sports field and aggressive with their studies. We want them winning at all costs and doing the absolute best that they can to get ahead in life. We abandon the idea of our kids being gentle in order for them to be aggressive and to win and to get ahead. And a lot of times that's how we associate the ideas of gentleness and achievement in life because nice guys finish last. And so this picture of gentleness for us is very different than what the Bible actually promotes in us. It's our understanding of the world word that we're challenged by. And so today we're going to dive back into the book of Galatians. Um, chapter 5, where we find this famous fruit of the Spirit verse, the thing that the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, is actually bringing to life in you. And starting back with Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul writes to a church of believers and says this, You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And I'm going to pause for just a second because I think that that's even a word in and of itself that we get confused from time to time because I love the idea that we are called to be free. And I love the idea that we are declared to be free. And we particularly like to talk about that here in America, what this idea of freedom is. But then the Bible says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And these aren't Paul's words. These are actually Jesus's words. He had explained this to an expert teacher in the law and all of his disciples who were in earshot that day when he was asked, hey, what's the most important command in the entire Old Testament? And Jesus was like, well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And oh, here's a bonus. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He summed up the entire Old Testament with literally a word about loving God and loving others. And Paul is communicating that to a brand new church of believers and saying all of the law, everything that we focus on for generations. Everything that's been written down for us since the beginning of the world can be summed up and fulfilled in your life by the idea of loving other people. And then it says in verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. There's a lot of biting going on in the world. I don't know if you have marks, but it's real. It says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So you are not to do whatever you want. And then I go back to my idea of freedom with the idea of like, hey, freedom means me being able to do whatever I want when I want, right? No. This picture of freedom that we have in Christ is, is not some outright permission to go and do whatever you want with no limitations. And that's a hard thing for us who live in a place that's naturally free. And what I want to say in those moments is that even if all of our freedoms were stripped away from us and we didn't have any on-the-ground earthly freedoms with which to speak, we would still be free in Christ and still be required to live according to this law of love because our freedom is so much bigger and better and broader than anything that this world promotes or protects. This is what matters. 
and I dare say there are believers in other parts of this world who have little to no earthly freedoms to speak of and yet are walking in a freedom that we don't even understand because it's rooted in Christ. Not doing whatever you want, but walking instead with the Spirit. It says this, verse 18, if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then it says words that we've read often in this series. The, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. I saw that at Target a few weeks ago. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you. Paul's like giving us a warning, not just for the church in Galatia, but the church in West Nashville. Like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It says those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That means that hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and sexual immorality and selfish ambition and dissensions and purity and debauchery and all of those things, factions, envy, drunkenness, all of that stuff has been put to death and in its place has risen up a person who literally can be described as loving and joy-filled and peaceful and somebody who's patient. Can I get an amen? That's a hard one for me. Somebody who's good and kind, faithful and gentle, and ultimately somebody who is self-controlled. All of those things. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. In the words of the popular theologian, Inigo Montoya, who said, you keep using that word, I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Some of these don't necessarily mean what we think they mean. And if we're out there chasing the world's definition of love, we're going to come up empty when the fruits of the Spirit are described. If we're out there chasing the world's definition of peace or joy or kindness, we're going to come up empty when it comes up with the fruit of the Spirit. If we're substituting the world's understanding of gentleness with what Paul was describing here, we're going to miss out on something really, really important because things don't always mean everything we think they do. And they don't often mean only what we think that they do. The New Testament wasn't written in English, and that's where one of our limitations lies, the fact that we only speak one language. It was originally written in, in a New Testament koine, everyday common Greek language. And so this word, I like to say Greek words like either a southerner or an Italian. You have to bear with me. Prautes is literally defined as mildness of disposition, gentleness of the spirit, meekness. And so you're like, well, Nick, I hate to break it to you, but that's exactly what I thought that word meant to begin with. <laughs> that protest defined literally means a, a mild-mannered, gentle spirit, meek person. And this morning, we're not only looking at Paul, who penned much of the New Testament, we're looking at Greek philosophers who didn't pen any of the New Testament, but they described accurately the culture and the day with which this was written. Aristotle defined protest as the mean, the middle, the average, between being too angry and never being angry at all. 
Like that gentleness wasn't always the person who took the back seat. Gentleness is not always the doormat who gets run over. Gentleness is not always the most soft-spoken person in the room. But gentleness is literally in their context and in their understanding described as the person who is literally the average between somebody who gets way too angry about way too many things and somebody who never gets angry about anything at all. It's the middle ground that we're shooting for. I lean more this way. I don't know about you, my kids would affirm this, maybe they said amen in the first service, like, yep, he does. Like, I, I lean more towards the get too angry too easily about too many things, and I know firsthand some of you are in the, I never get angry about anything, and I would never, ever, ever want to come across as somebody who's frustrated about anything in the world, and so I'm walked all over in a lot of circumstances. We're not elevating either one of these ideas, we're, we're going towards the middle. What's the average between somebody who never, never gets angry? And somebody who always gets too angry. Gentleness is somewhere in the middle. And that's the ultimate goal. Proutes used. Defined, it may be mildness of disposition, meekness. But the way that it was used was the understanding of power under control. In Greek literature, it was sometimes used to describe a person who had feigned hypocritical concern for other people that was motivated by a sense of self-interest. But in the New Testament, it was always used as a genuine consideration for other people. And according to the linguistic and exegetical key to the Greek New Testament, which is a book I know all of you have on your bookshelves, um, Prates is literally an understanding of the humble and gentle attitude that expresses itself in a patient submissiveness to others, free from malice and, and, and desire for revenge. It is a controlled strength. It's the ability to bear reproach and slight without bitterness or resentment. You talk about strength. It's the ability to provide a soothing influence on someone's life who is in a state of anger or bitterness or resentment against the world. Gentleness is literally the person in the room who brings the calm when a situation is like a bomb. The person who's literally calming someone down, bringing someone back inside, sitting them down, fanning them off, taking them off the ledge, and making sure that we understand that there is a different better way. It's the restrained and obedient power of the personality. Gentleness is power to subject and surrender yourself to God's will by the Spirit. The book says it denotes the humble and gentle attitude that expresses itself in patient submission, freedom from malice, mildness, and trust in the midst of difficult circumstances in the world. Yes, it is full of difficult circumstances. Defined, it may be gentleness. Defined, protest may be mildness. Defined, it may be meekness. And defined, it may denote a connotation of weakness. But the way that it was used as an illustration of complete and total power, gentleness, the way we have to understand it, is not weakness, but controlled strength. And in popular Greek literature, it was talked about in the following ways. First, the wind. The wind was prautes. 
Because a gentle breeze like the one we have today that's making our banners kind of go back and forth is someday that you want to be outside. It feels good. And who isn't excited that fall weather is here, pumpkin spice lattes are back, you can wear your hoodie over your shirt. Like it's a really good thing when the breeze is blowing and when we feel it. But wind can also destroy a city. As evidenced by the fact that we're not just in autumn. Some people call this hurricane season and we see that. Devastation in Florida because the winds got too violent. Gentleness is a picture of a wind that's just enough. It's also used to describe medicine because medicine in the right dosage is healing. Gentleness in the right dosage is healing, but medicine in in too high amounts is deadly. We're talking about something that's strength under control. And then the final way that it was used is a colt. Um, And I had to look up what that was because I wasn't quite sure. It's a male horse that has not been, sorry to use this word this morning, castrated, who is also under the age of four. I learned a lot about horses this week. Um, A foal is either sex but under one year. A stallion is a fully intact male horse. A filly is a young female horse. A yearling is either male or female horse between ages. There's a lot of information that you can learn on the World Wide Web about horses tons. But a colt in Greek literature is a male horse under the age of four that has not been broken. You see, that's a picture of strength, and that horse can hurt a person. So so you want to ride one that's been broken. You want to ride one that's been trained. You want to have all that power underneath you that's under subjugation. Like, you want that power and that strength to be controlled. A broken horse is a good horse, but one that's wild is one that can do some damage. Each one of those things has incredible power, but it's power at the right dose. It's power under control. It's power that understands a limit. The question for us this morning is, are you described that way? Are are you described as a person of power who only uses it properly. Andy Stanley in a book called Not In It to Win It. It's a um, political admonition for all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ to watch ourselves in the world that we live in. He says, any admonition that declares that we must rule should be checked by the immediate reminder that Christ did not. It's the cross, not the boardroom, not the box office and not the oval office that is the absolute center of the kingdom of God. And the cross, make no mistake, is a symbol of powerful yet willing sacrifice. In the words of the popular theologian Uncle Ben Parker, with great power comes great responsibility. So Paul also wrote not, not only this idea of the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, which doesn't always mean what we think it means, and self-control. He also wrote a letter to another church in Philippi, and in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. And that's where the English language just doesn't do us any favors at all, because you and I are reading love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and then we're reading let your gentleness be evident to all, but it's not the same word. We've got proud in the fruits of the spirit that's giving us this picture of mildness and our disposition being meek and then we've got a whole other word that's used to mean the same thing in Philippians 4 5 it's epiekis and it literally means seemingly suitable equitable mild and fair 
They're close, but they're not the same. So this is what's supposed to be evident about us to everybody that we know around us. The Septuagint is the Greek Old Testament. It's called Septuagint because legend says about 70 guys got together between 300 and 100 BC and they translated the entire Old Testament into Greek because not everybody was reading Hebrew and not everybody was reading Aramaic and they needed it into the common language. Somehow Siri is trying to help me out up here into the common language so that people could understand it's the same way that we have a language of English Bibles today that have been translated from Latin and from Hebrew and from Greek so that we can understand it. It's the reason why we have scriptures and and, and modern languages that we can understand and why Bible translators are working all over the world to make sure that every nation and tribe and tongue also has a Bible where they can literally parse the words of God for themselves and see what it is he wants to bring to them. In Psalm chapter 86, verse 5, if we were looking back at the Greek, says for us in English, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. It's epiekis. You're forgiving. You're humble. You're gentle. That's how God is for us. And that's how we're supposed to be equitable and fair and righteous before the rest of the world. If we're walking or living with carrying with us any sort of bitterness, any sort of resentfulness, any sort of unforgiveness, then gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit that we need the most in this moment. We need our epiakis. We need our protests when we engage the world, and they need to be able to see that about us. The rest of the world ought to be able to look at us who call ourselves Christ followers and who declare that Jesus is Lord, and they ought to be able to see a people who are ultimately, at the end of the day, more than anything else, loving. They ought to be able to see a people who remarkably are joy-filled, even when the world is just a trash can. They ought to be able to see a people who bring peace to wherever there is dissension and wherever there's difficulty. The world outside of us ought to be able to describe us as patient. That's a hard one. They ought to be able to describe us as kind and good and faithfully consistent and reliable in the world. And they ought to be able to describe us as people who are mild and meek, but that's not a synonym for weak. They ought to be able to describe us as a people who bring incredible strength to any problem that's in the world, not to blame it, but to love it and to provide for it. Gentleness isn't just a right reaction. It's a reasonable readiness. It's a reasonable readiness. I've never used the word ready so much in my life than when my little boy started playing t-ball and then coach pitch and now baseball. Because the kids are all the time out in the outfield looking up in the sky and twiddling their thumbs and picking dandelions. And so the parents in the stand are like, boys, baseball ready. And baseball ready is not after the ball's hit. Baseball ready is before it comes because it's coming. Gentle ready is not, oh, when the world has a problem and hits you in the face. Gentle ready is in advance prepared to do the thing that you're supposed to do to bring the level of Jesus that you're supposed to bring to any situation before it happens. It's not just your natural reaction to stimuli in the world. It's the readiness that you bring to whatever the world throws at you. Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts revere. There's our submission. 
there's our powerful submission to Christ as Lord. And it says, always be prepared, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. Like, we're always supposed to be prepared in any situation and in any season to bring an answer for the hope that we have. It's Jesus. That's right. He's the answer. But do this with protest, with gentleness, controlled strength, and also respect. Plato, our second Greek philosopher of the day, said this, Protest is the temperament of the soul. Like gentleness is the temperament of the soul. It's literally the character trait of a person in which everything is mixed in the right proportions. Not too angry, not, not angry enough. It's the right, re- everybody's had a recipe where somebody substituted salt for sugar by accident. Everybody's had a, a recipe where somebody forgot a key ingredient. Like the measure of gentleness that we're called to bring to the world, the, the measure of protest that we're supposed to invoke in any situation has to be the right recipe, and the right recipe is Jesus. This humble submission in light of incredible power, gentleness, it's in your notes this morning, initiates maturity. It helps us grow up. James, the brother of Jesus, used this word twi- twice in his letter, in chapter 1, verse 21, he says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Yep, all the moral filth, the idolatry, the witchcraft, the sexual immorality, the, the debauchery, the discord, the jealousy, the fits of rage, like people do at Target sometimes. Like, we're supposed to get rid of all of the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent in the world. Somebody's like, amen, there is evil in the world. We're supposed to get rid of all of that and humbly protest. You go back to the Greek New Testament, it's, it's protest. Accept the word that's planted in you, which can save you. Gentleness really is the opposite of arrogance. It's an approachability. It's a teachability. It's somebody who's willing to learn and willing to change, who, who is ready for this word to make them different. That's a symbol of maturity. When you're ready for the hard parts about this to make you different, it's a lack of arrogance because I don't automatically think that I know everything and can do everything, but come to this word and beg of the Lord that he would change me to be like this. Literal definition of maturity is... Like when we're kids and we think our parents know absolutely everything, right? And then we become teenagers and we think that they absolutely know nothing. And then we become adults and we realize that we were the ones that absolutely knew nothing. It's reported, we can't prove it, that Mark Twain said this, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant that I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in just seven years. Maturity is realizing that you're the one who has a lot to learn. And approaching a situation, approaching another person with gentleness and respect means doing it in an attitude of humility that says, hey, I I know I've got some stuff to learn. I've got some stuff I can bring, but I've also got some stuff that I still need to learn. Gentleness also indicates wisdom. It's a mark of wisdom. James continued to write in chapter 3. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Y'all want to do that real quick? Like, anybody want to raise your hand? You're wise and understanding? A lot of people in the first service raised their hand. Anybody out there? Oh, you're humble. That's good. Okay, you're already processed. 
says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds that are done in process, in humility, the humility that comes from wisdom. Gentleness should be discerning. It's understanding that right recipe. It's knowing how to bring that right response to any situation and not just discerning, but it ought to be dedicated. And that's where this Mission Sunday matters because I don't know a better opportunity for us to exhibit maturity and to walk in wisdom and to live out our dedication to Jesus than by the ways that we engage the community and the world around us to be a people who are on mission wherever we go. We talk a lot about the Eugene Peterson quote, long obedience in the the same direction. That's why we have only a few organizations locally and nationally and internationally that we partner with because we want to sink all of our eggs into just a few baskets to make the, the widest and the best and the longest impact that we can possibly make. So we've been partnering with 413 Strong for years to understand the ways that we can help young men be better and do amazing things with the gifts that God has given them in this world. And it's a fantastic organization that we can partner with regularly in our support and in our encouragement and in our brotherhood. That's why we partner with Shower Up, and you see the trailer that's parked on the road this morning, and that's because you're able to actually go inside it before you, you can't take a shower before you leave, but you can actually go tour the shower trailer truck because in the city of Nashville, we're partnering with an organization that's bringing not only showers, not only resources, but also dignity to people who are houseless in our community. It's the love of Jesus in a really tangible, necessary way way and it's why from the beginning of its existence rolling hills has sunk all of our international missions eggs into the basket of justice and mercy international in the small eastern european country of moldova and also in the south american country of brazil to see incredible lives be blessed and changed by the gospel good work that's happening in those places and for us as a church This has been a special week because we celebrated the annual Justice and Mercy International Gala this week with an incredible report about the good works that God is doing, and we want you to hear more about that today. The illness, loss, and desperation that Justice and Mercy International faced in 2021 became one of our most difficult seasons of ministry ever. Early last year, our Brazilian team found themselves at the epicenter of a global pandemic. Hospitalizations and deaths due to COVID-19 soared in their region. Our staff spent their waking hours bringing hope to the most vulnerable, all the while facing unimaginable personal loss. Lives were quite literally saved because of them. At that pivotal moment, JMI stayed. After walking through such tragedy with our team in the Amazon, we never could have imagined that another crisis was just around the corner, this time in Moldova. On February 24th, we awoke to news of the unimaginable. Russian forces had launched a violent invasion of Ukraine. Right next door, Moldovans were experiencing the fear and uncertainty firsthand as thousands of Ukrainian refugees fled across their border seeking safety. Our Moldovan team immediately sprang into action despite the threat of war. At this pivotal moment, JMI stayed. This is what Justice and Mercy International did amidst a deadly COVID outbreak, and it's what we continue to do, even now, 
as a war in Eastern Europe still rages, we stay. It's what we've done since 2008 and what we will continue to do. We walk alongside jungle pastors as they minister in the most remote places on earth. We provide programming for vulnerable children and teens who face the dangers of human trafficking. We continue to care for our people as we invest in long lasting relationships in both the Amazon and Moldova. To care for the vulnerable in the name of Jesus, by God's grace, JMI will stay. A lot of you in this room, along with me, recognize Celia Grace Denny as one of our amazing kids ministry volunteers. So um, by day, she's the hero that stands upstairs and teaches my fourth grader. So thank you for that. Um, but her regular life is with Justice and Mercy International, and she serves as the sponsorship specialist. Um, and so tell everybody what that means and what JMI does to sponsor people in these two countries. Yeah, so I get to work right downstairs with our amazing team here, and then I also have the privilege of my life to work with our staffs in Moldova and in the Amazon, and so my everyday job looks a little bit differently, to be honest. Some days it's answering emails, some days it's counting merch, um, some days it's working with our international staffs to make sure that these kids and teenagers are taken care of. Um, these kids have the opportunity to be in our program, and the main thing is it's not a toy, it's not a piece of candy that they get every month, but they get access to the gospel, and they have an adult that knows their name and that cares about them, and these teenagers are well taken care of every single day. I feel like I'm giving a sales pitch, and that's not what I want to do to you today. Um, I want to, to let you know that these, these kids in the most vulnerable places on this earth are having access to the gospel, and they get uh, scripture memorization, and they get to have somebody who cares about them deeply. That's incredible. I know, and you guys have incredible stories all the time of like tangible ways that sponsorship programs and that the work of JMI um, is doing incredible things in these places. What's something that God's shown you guys lately about what's happening and the ways that people's lives are being impacted? Yeah, absolutely. When Nick originally asked me that question, I thought, I hear God stories every single day that come across my email. I, I hear this. How do I pick just one? Uh, but something that really stood out this last year that took place, um, a, a boy who grew up in an orphanage. His name is Adrian. He grew up in the orphanage without parents. He has been in our program. He was actually sponsored by somebody who's a Rolling Hills member mm -hmm. all throughout his teenage years in our transitional living houses and in our in independent living program. He graduated last spring. Um, he got job skills, English lessons, vocational training, had access to a social worker and psychologist help. Um, so he graduated last spring, and he turned around and started sponsoring a kid in our program because he knew the value of this program. He knew how, how deeply impactful it is to have a sponsor, to have somebody who cares and who prays for you. And so he's currently sponsoring a teenager that lives in one of our houses. Yeah, one of the things that we've remarked a lot in the last two years with COVID coming first and really devastating both places, um, and then now the war that's ravaging in Eastern Europe, we've really remarked on how blessed JMI was to have people who are in the country, on the ground, ready for whatever happens in the world in order to respond. Um, that's the reason why JMI exists, because Jeff, um, our lead pastor, and Steve Davis, missions pastor for a long time, and Mary Catherine, executive director of JMI, spent really 20 years going back and forth to Moldova and for the last 10 plus years going back and forth to Brazil and the back and forth was never the idea. The idea was to stay. 
And because we have people in those places, we're able to stay and continue to impact and continue to hear the stories and continue to know that God's working in an incredible way. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, you can. That's the discernment. We're not everywhere, all over the place at all times, but really laser-focused on the difference that we can make and the call of the difference that we're making in in specific places, and then that's the dedication. We're going to stay. We're going to stay a part of these ministries. We're going to stay a part of these kids' lives. We're going to stay in contact with these jungle pastors that are literally taking the gospel to the ends of the known earth. We're going to continue to stay and see God do amazing things. That is strength under control, and that's what you're a part of as a church. This whole idea of gentleness, what it ultimately does, it interrupts us. It it, it interrupts the path that I'm on and the flesh that I have and the worldly selfish desires that I'm engaged in. It, it, It interrupts all of that and ultimately makes us like Jesus. It it, it makes us like Christ. When this is a fruit of the Spirit that He births and that He tills and that He brings to life inside of us, it's literally Him forming us into the image of Jesus who was incredibly strong and at the same time incredibly sacrificial. Zechariah 9.9, going back to that Old Testament Greek Septuagint, says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, like the world is falling apart, but I want you guys to shout. Like things are really rough, but I want you guys to rejoice. Why? Your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly. That's the Greek word prothes. Gentle. Riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey, a gentle Lord on a powerful but gentle animal. That's how Jesus, as a prophecy that this word brought, would ride into the city ready to not have his life taken, but ready to give it over so that you and I may live. That's the picture of gentleness that we want to bring. It's life that we're offering to people who need it. It's life that we're offering to people who lack it. And that's not a weak thing. That's the strongest thing that we ever could do. So we pray today that the Lord would by the power of his Holy Spirit, continue to make us into a gentle people, a people that are regarded as those of undeniable strength to respond to whatever the world throws at us with just the right recipe of love and sacrifice and humility to see people's lives transformed and changed with the goodness of God's word and his truth. It's available through Jesus, and that's what we bring. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to be in this place. Thank you for the calling that you have put on each of our lives to pile on gentleness, just the right amount. To pour out love, just the right amount. To give a perfect picture of joy and peace that's available to Christ in in just the right recipe generosity and yet gentleness 
to pile on what the world needs most. It's you. And so, Father, I pray that you would chasten us, God, that you would transform us, that you would make us into a people who don't get too angry over things that are outside of our control and people that don't get angry enough over things that we need to engage because you've called us to meet the world where it is with the message of Jesus. We love you today, and we make this our prayer in his name. Amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so that you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History and Parenting podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. We'll see you next time.